He gives credit to the Father, never takes any glory for himself, never puffs himself up. He's always going other because that's the nature of love. And then secondly, he's saying, I am true and I am righteous. Ministry Under Fire. Jesus faces religious opposition in our 17th episode as we continue with life's meaning and purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Hello and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast. Religious institutions can help provide structure and organization for faith communities. Religious leadership can act as a benevolent hand to help guide, encourage, and provide accountability. When walking in obedience to the Word and the power of the Spirit with Christ as the head, these institutions will thrive. When religion becomes a struggle for power, however, these institutions become a house divided. And as Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. We see the beginning of this power struggle in chapter 7 of John's Gospel, as the religious leaders challenged Jesus' authority and the authenticity of his ministry. Unfortunately, what they failed to see was that the man they opposed is the very God they claimed to follow. Before we turn it over to Father Ward, we would like to say thank you for your time as you tune in each week. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by the content of this podcast. Please listen through to the end to learn how you can connect with this podcast and with all that is happening at St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church. And now, with our lesson this week in the Gospel of John, here is Father Ward. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all the blessings we have in Jesus, your Son, all the blessings we experience because of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And we thank you for the blessing we have to be able to study your Word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to what you want to convey to us, both individually as your sons and daughters, and also corporately as your church. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember the things that are most important for us, and that we would uh, seek to put them into practice throughout the week. We also, Lord, ask that you would prepare us us for the worship for Sunday and Saturday worship this weekend. We thank you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, uh, last week, John 6, very important. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus walks on the water. Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have life within you. Pivotal. Now what's intriguing, what's interesting is that I want you for a moment, some of you may have done your homework, some of you may have not, and that's okay. But I want you to think about John chapter 7. What stands out to you about John chapter 7? If someone were to say, hey, what's the big event in John chapter 7? What would you say? It's tough, isn't it? I mean, I'm just talking about off the top of your head. When you think about it, of the 21 chapters of John, John 7 is probably the most obscure. You go through all the other chapters, you know, John 1, you know, with the Word, you know, becoming flesh, Jesus is the Word, right? And John 2, his first sign and wedding in Cana and Galilee, you know, and John 3, and the testimony of John the Baptist, and Nicodemus, and you've got to be born again, right? John 4, the Samaritan woman at the well. 
John 5, the two healings of the paralytic and the nobleman's son. Remember that? John 6, the three things I just said. John 8, I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. You know, you go down each chapter and there are some big deals. John 11, Lazarus. John 9, I am the light of the world. Or I think John 9 is the... Um, yeah, I am the light of the world. John 10 would be the good shepherd. John 11, Lazarus. Um, 9 is the healing of the man born blind. Uh, 12, the triumphal entry, the anointing by Mary of Jesus. 13, he washes their feet, and then so forth. 7 is tough. And yet it's very important. But the reason why 7 doesn't stand out is because it's primarily the discussion and the debate that Jesus has with the crowds and the religious leaders over who he is while he goes and returns to Jerusalem in the temple. And so that is the context for our study. John chapter 7, the obscure chapter. won't be obscure hopefully after tonight. So we read, After these things Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So this is midway in his ministry. He is spending most of his time in Galilee. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, do a lot with his Galilean ministry. John only has a couple incidents from it. And now we read verse 2. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths or tabernacles, was near. This is a Jewish holiday, holy day, established by God in Leviticus. It's normally celebrated either at the end of September or the beginning of October. It commemorates when God sustained and protected Israel during their wilderness wanderings. It also was a feast to um, thank God for the harvest. And we can see its origins and its establishment from Leviticus. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth of this seventh month is the Feast of Booths for seven days to the Lord. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work of any kind. For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly. You shall do no laborious work. So it was a week long. On exactly the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now on the first day you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. So they would make these makeshift booths with leaves and trees and, and all that to celebrate. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall live in booths for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So there's the origin. You know, it's important to note, I mean, we all kind of know this, but um, notice that throughout the gospel, the feasts are mentioned and not just the John, Jewish customs are highlighted, and Jesus is engaging in all of these customs, all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Notice, though, that in John's Gospel, he says the Jewish feast. Again, it's because he's writing primarily to Gentiles. 
He's explaining it to them. But my point is that the Christian faith is not a new religion. The Christian faith is not something that just was begun by Jesus. The Christian faith is the fulfillment of the covenants God had already made with His people. It is the culmination of what God has done with, through, and in Israel. Jesus was Jewish. That's why I love what we have on our building. The fact that this is a synagogue, and there was the Star of David, and now we have the cross. It comes out of it. Uh, And God is not done with His people Israel either. That's why we have the Jewish flag on the right-hand side. Not only a testimony to the fact that this was a synagogue, but a testimony to the fact that God's not done with Israel. That's very important to note, and and you can see that in the Gospels. Okay, so uh, let's continue. Verse 3, Therefore his brothers said to him, his half-brothers, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. So he's getting pressure from his family. His brothers are saying, hey, you you need to go and and do some more works down in Jerusalem. Show yourself. Show who you really are. But they're not really doing it from pure motives. We're going to see why in a moment. Verse 4, For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. You see, there's some jealousy there. There's some resentment going on. They, they know their brother's super popular. They don't really understand fully why. And they're like, hey man, you want this is all this stuff. Keep doing it. Show yourself. Prove yourself. And there probably was a little bit of, if they had any, as any good Jew would, uh, inclination of yearning for the Messiah. And they, I'm sure, hearing the rumors and even through speaking with Jesus themselves, would probably understand that he was making himself out to be the Messiah. So they were urging him to do these things to get more attention, which ultimately then would determine whether or not the religious authorities would embrace him as the political leader that most people were looking for. So then we have the verse 5, which kind of sums it up, what I'm saying. For not even... His brothers were believing in him. Now, what I like about that in the the English translation of the Greek is believing in him. That reminds us that belief in Jesus is not just a one shot deal. There's, oh, I believe in him, and then I just do my own thing. Believing is an ongoing life, daily process. Remember, Jesus said, anyone who wants to come after me must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me daily, right? Deny himself daily, right? And so the brothers weren't there yet. They would be after his resurrection. But they weren't there at this point. So Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. Now what does that mean? Two things. Jesus is on the Father's time clock. Jesus is on kingdom time. He's not going to be pressured or coerced by the world. That's what they tried to do after he fed the 5,000. Remember, they were ready to make him king, and he, he got out of there. In the same way, his brothers are pressuring him to do something. God is not beholden to any man, to any mortal. 
And Jesus, as the Son of God, as God in the flesh, is not beholden any. Now for them, what does he mean by your, your, your time? It doesn't matter. When you're, when you're living by the world, when you're living in the flesh, your time is whenever you say your time is, isn't it? You just do your own thing when you want to do it. You don't give any thought to it. But if you have the kingdom mindset, you're like, whoa, everything I do, it, it does matter. Now, I'm not talking about brushing your teeth or something like, you know, these little things we do every day. But anything of some significance, we, if you're a believer, you pray about it, you seek the Lord, you always have the Lord in mind. You know, you're not just assuming and just doing your own thing when you want to do it. Now, sometimes we fall into that, but we, the Bible has a word that's sin, right? When we just do what we want without deference to God. And so that's what Jesus meant by saying, your, your time is whenever you want it. You can go and whatever, not me. And why? Verse 7, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify, it, testify of it that its deeds are evil. Now why can't the world hate the brothers? At this point, the brothers are not following Jesus. The brothers are of the world. And the world doesn't hate us if we're kind of worldly. Yeah, there'll be conflict because ultimately selfishness will result. But, but the world's not going to hate the brothers simply because of who they are. But the world will hate Jesus because of who He is. And specifically, we now know why the world hates Jesus, why, why there's this resistance to Jesus wherever you go. It's because Jesus, when he says, I testify that its deeds or its works are evil, is saying that I have the ultimate authority of what is good and what is evil. I have the ultimate authority of what is right and what is wrong. I have the ultimate authority to judge you. And if someone doesn't like being told what is right and what is wrong, what they need to do, if someone doesn't like the idea that they have to follow Jesus, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to hate him. And that's what we see in the world, isn't it? You've heard me say many times during Christmas, the Christmas season, everyone loves the baby in the manger. right? Everybody loves Christmas and celebrating the birth of the, the babe and all the celebrations and all the angels singing, you know, and all this stuff and the wise men coming. But much of the world does not like the man and the son of man, the son of God, that the baby becomes. <laughs> because it's the son of God who not only testifies that we need to repent, but it is the son of God who died, who rose again, and is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And likewise, it is why you and I will face opposition if we overtly talk about our love for Christ and if we overtly stand for what's right. Now, we're always to do it in love. You know, there's that danger of being a bulldozer, of being arrogant, of being judgmental or in a judgmental way. That's different. But that doesn't mean you can't call a spade a spade. You can't say, hey, this is wrong. I can't condone this. Or when someone is rejoicing in some sort of sinful or evil behavior and expects you to do the same and you don't and they look at you, 
like you, you know, you're a loser. Well, we got to do that, right? We got to be true to who Christ has called us to be, the light of the world. And then even more intensely, if you're in a nation where you will be a second-class citizen because you profess the name of Christ, think of the Coptic Christians in Egypt. Think of those who lived under communism. Think of those in China. You know, the church is growing in Iran. The fastest-growing church in the world is Iran, and also in China. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, if you're a Christian in those nations you will get slighted. You will get looked over. In the worst case, you'll be thrown into prison, and in some cases, you will lose your life. And so Jesus highlights this further later when he says, if the world hated me, it will hate you also. Uh, When he uh, gives his last teaching on the night before he died. So verse 8, Jesus says, go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. So Jesus is remaining in Galilee for a while. And then we read in verse 10, but when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself, but not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? So somehow maybe there was rumor that Jesus had come or maybe people were expecting him to come because this is another Jewish feast. It's important for the Jews to go there, right? to celebrate it, part of being a good Jew. And then we read, verse 12, there was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying he is a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. So you begin to see the conflict, that there are different factions, no different than today. You have any subject matter, you're always going to, we always need to realize there are always going to be liberals and always going to be conservatives on any subject matter. It just is the nature of things, right? You're going to have the extremes, and then you're going to have a whole wide everything. And that goes for almost everything in life. It's partly how we were made. I think the challenge is that we need to rise above that, right? And we need to have the kingdom mindset. That's what's most important. It's not a matter of whether you're right or left. It's a matter of whether or not you're in Christ. And are you following his law and his kingdom? Um, and you know, we, the, the fact of the matter is, I just thought about this the other day too, in an ideal, I think all of us would like, hey, you know what, I like some of, when we talk about political stuff, I like what they, I like some of what they believe, and I look like what some of what they believe, and the perfect candidate or the perfect party would be a little bit of each, right? That's what we kind of, because there's always a deficiency, sometimes there might be more of a deficiency than the other, you know, depending on the time and depending on your opinion. But here's the problem. If we found the perfect person or the perfect party, it ultimately would fail because we know that when one has got total adulation and everybody thinks they're right and it seems to be everything's going perfectly, that that's when corruption sets in. It's just the nature of things. So that we will never have a perfect political party will never have a perfect leader. It's only found in Christ. Even the church got into trouble because at one point there was just one church, right? And that was when absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's when a lot of the corruption came in. When we had the one church. And even though denominations on one hand are symbolic of the sin, of the vision, and a lot of times people point to the Christian faith and say, how can 
this be, you know, a real expression of love and truth when there's so much division. The fact of the matter is that on the positive side, the division highlights not only the differences and tendencies we have, which are okay if they're minor, but more importantly, it is a it is an accountability factor. Because if you just have one church with all control, led by fallen man, you're going to have problems. And so again, it's just part of the nature of, of our world. So we read here, yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. So you had you know, the peer pressure, and this would be the Jewish leadership. Okay, the, Jew, the fear of the Jews, it means the Jewish leadership. But when it was now the midst of the feast, about halfway, in the middle of the week there, of the celebration, Jesus went up into the temple and he began to teach. The Jews then were astonished, saying, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? Now what does that mean? That means that he was never educated by the traditional rabbinic schools. He didn't follow a particular rabbi. He did not have formal rabbinic training. didn't mean that he wasn't educated. He knew how to read. You know, he knew the Jewish teachings and, and law and all of that. But he was teaching with authority. We read that in, in Matthew. But anyhow, verse 16, So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. So Jesus is always going back to the Father. If anyone is willing to do His will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. So now what Jesus is saying is, if you're really seeking God you're going to see that I am of God. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So right there, Jesus is saying three things. Jesus is saying, I am not like the world because the, the world seeks after its own glory. Now Jesus had all the right to ascribe glory to himself as the Son of God. He has that right. In fact, he is glorified by virtue of who he is and what he does. But here's the amazing thing, and that's where he is so unlike any other religious leader or, or any other world religion. He doesn't even speak of his own glory. He gives all the credit to the Father. So that's the first thing. He gives credit to the Father, never takes any glory for himself, never puffs himself up. He's always going other because that's the nature of love. And then secondly, he's saying, I am true, and I am righteous. Now, there is only one who is truly true, and there's only one who is truly righteous, and that's God himself. So Jesus, again, is affirming his divine, supernatural nature. You have been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. For more information about the church, including a list of our service times, please visit our website at www.stbartston.org. Again, that's www.stbartston.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating or a positive review. Both will help in reaching more people with this podcast. If you're on Facebook, head over to facebook.com slash transforming lives together podcast and give us a like. And if you're an Amazon Alexa user, say, hey Alexa, play the Transforming Lives Together podcast to hear the latest episodes. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. 
Until then, we leave you with these verses from the first chapter of John's Gospel. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. God bless you.